This is Transformation Ground Control. Your source for all things business, technology, strategy, and change. If you're growing your business, leading change within your organization, or undertaking any sort of operational or technology change initiative, this podcast is for you. This show covers what you need to know about digital transformation, organizational change, operational improvement, and business growth. Five, four, three, two, one. And now, here's your host, Eric Kimberling. Hello and welcome to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 42. This is the podcast that covers everything related to digital transformation, the people, process, technology, and strategy aspects of transformation. My name is Eric Kimberling. I'm here with Kyler Cheatham. Kyler, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'm excited for today's show, uh, which, by the way, every Wednesday we put out new episodes on YouTube, uh, LinkedIn, as well as all the usual audio podcast platforms like Spotify, Google, Amazon, et cetera. Um, Today's show is going to be a good one. We've got uh, three main segments today. First of all, we're going to start off with an overview of some of the uh, digital transformation trends and predictions for 2022. Uh, Kyler has been doing some research on, on that and kind of looking at keeping an, an eye on the pulse of the, the uh, analyst community and, and uh, has some good thoughts and some things we'll cover there as it relates to trends in the marketplace. So we'll cover that in our first segment. And then later on the show, we have a couple of really good guests. Um, one is going to be Doug Hansen, who is the director of ERP for a company called Polyconcept North America, uh, or PCNA. And PCNA is a client of Third Stages, and we're helping them through their digital transformation journey as we speak. So we thought it'd be good to have Doug on the show to talk about the lessons and the things that he's experiencing right now as we speak, as we're going through this transformation, a sort of a, a, a update from the trenches of a, a transformation that's in progress. So we'll have Doug on the show later today. Looking forward to that conversation. And then we'll also have Dave Beldick, who is a senior manager at Third Stage Consulting. He's going to be on the show later today. And Kyler, you're going to interview him chatting about operational excellence and how operational excellence can enable a better or more effective digital transformation. So we'll kind of dive into the business process and operational aspects of digital transformation. So uh, look forward to those two guests, but before we bring the guests on, uh, Kyler, you've been doing some research on industry trends and predictions and that sort of thing for 2022. We're at that time of year where you're starting to see a lot of mm-hmm. predictions and trends for the upcoming year. What are some of the interesting findings you've got for us? Yeah, definitely. Um, well, some some great trends. I, I chose a few that I felt like we haven't really covered that much within our conversations that I thought might be interesting to get your feedback on. And And the first one I wanted to talk about today was the rise of the business technologist. So basically, a a study by Gardner um, took a look at what the landscape looked like for business versus technology skill sets. And it seemed like they were trending in the fact that over 80% of of um, predictions by 2022 would feature more business-focused skill sets than technology-focused skill sets, just because of of the ability of the technology um, to kind of do a lot of that technical work itself. So I wanted to see if that was something that you were experiencing in your client work as well, um, and having more of that business lens as opposed to just technology skill sets. 
Yeah, that's a that's an interesting point. Something that we're seeing more of, and I'm glad that you know, analysts and others in the community are picking up on this because for a long time it's been really focused on the the technologist and the technology aspect of digital transformation. And even the term itself, digital transformation, suggests that you know there's a heavy digital component, which is certainly one component, but the the business aspect of it I think is even more important. And so I think those those that can combine or meld the technology understanding with the business understanding. You know, that's the most powerful skill set, I think, that is required to make a transformation successful. And, and the myopic focus just on the technology is what creates a lot of challenges and problems with, with these sorts of transformation. So, uh, yeah, I think that business technologist uh, role or skill set is something that's very real and, and very important to organizations going forward. Absolutely. That kind of strategy focused, if you will, as opposed to just technical focus. Yeah as well. So the other thing I had a question on was was uh, the concept of hyper automation um, and just looking at how that drives digital value. Obviously, we've, we've spoken about how automation can be an efficiency tactic, specifically in our current climate, experiencing labor shortages and being able to transparently communicate with customers, those types of things. I wanted to get just kind of your um, reaction to maybe the hyper automation idea of automating everything and and what we should consider when looking at that as a trend moving into 2022. Yeah, so I guess to start, I don't know the technical nuance or difference between hyper automation and just regular automation. It sounds like it's it's a bit of a buzzword that was created by analysts or you know, there's an industry analyst out there somewhere that was super bored and decided to come up with a new term. So whatever you want to call it, it's it's uh, hyper automation or automation in general. Whether whichever one you're you're talking about, I think it's important to note that you know the biggest challenge with with that is that you know the technology itself can typically enable automation and pretty extreme levels of automation, and that's that's not really the issue, and that's not really anything I question a whole lot because most of the technology out there can is going to be able to accomplish that hyper automation to some degree, but the challenge is that technology is typically so far ahead of where organizational capabilities are. Mm-hmm. So the ability to adapt and integrate that hyper automation into your organization and into your operations, that's the tricky part. And so, you know, I guess it's, you know, that's great that technology is evolving and there's a lot of innovation in technology, but organizations in general are not innovative and they're not moving as quickly as the technology. So that's where the disconnect oftentimes is, is the technology is oftentimes too far ahead of where an organization is. So you really have to take sort of baby steps toward that uh, hyper automation mentality or that hyper automation future state. And you can do that by taking more incremental steps and maybe biting off some smaller pieces of automation opportunities rather than just trying to move overnight to, you know, to this mass hyper automation model. Right. Yeah. It sounds like maybe a more mindful approach that is a bit data driven, you know, how, what results are you getting? How is, um, your team acclimating to those different roles and responsibilities and just that that constant piece of assessment sounds like is something that needs to be considered within right. um, any sort of automation transformation. So all yeah. good stuff. Um, the other one I wanted to kind of touch on as well, which is the rise of hybrid um, ecosystems, whether we're talking about multi-cloud integrations, people working from home, what that looks like, different work schedules. And the trend that I've been seeing is just the complexity that adds to a software selection. 
and companies really trying to go through what does that mean for my evaluation process when I am trying to select a software to now meet all of these different environments. I wondered if you could kind of give us um, some insight to your reaction to that trend. Yeah, I think it's it's you're tapping into a, a broader, even bigger picture trend, which is organizations and the world in general are changing very quickly and they look a lot different now than they did prior to 2020. So it's it really magnifies or underscores the need to focus on what your future state is, what that future operating model is. And uh, I know we're going to talk about operational excellence later in the show today with Dave Beldick, um, but, it, but it really is focusing on what that operational model looks like in the future and how your people are organized, how they're going to be working, and really defining what that looks like to your organization so that when you do evaluate systems, you're doing so in the context of the way things are today and where you're headed in the future, rather than the way things were, you know, perhaps prior to 2020. So I think that's, it's a really good point. I mean, we have to think about not just how the processes flow or how the technology works within a workflow, but also how are people going to be doing that job and where they're going to be doing that job and what is the uh, infrastructure required to support that job? If, you know, if, if we're working at home, what kind of infrastructure do we need at home to support that capability? Is it something that's reasonable that people that are bringing their own devices or bringing their own connectivity, um, is that going to support that? Um, environment. So that's a really good and important uh, point that, uh, you know, you're going to have varying degrees of infrastructure capabilities or whatever you want to call it that are dispersed throughout wherever people might be, you know, accessing your ERP system. So that uh, technical infrastructure is, is certainly something that's important to consider as well. Yeah, definitely. And, and a, to go right along with that technical transition is also the cultural transition. And that's been one of the other trends that I've really been seeing specifically within our current climate when it comes to change management and how that's kind of evolved from it being just a change assessment, you know, we're looking at the organization, but as someone that manages a remote workforce and has done for some time, right? I wondered if you could talk about the difference in change management when we're talking about an in-office or multiple office settings to now a fully remote workforce? How is that different? Yeah, I think, you know, the key there is you have to be a lot more deliberate in a, in a hybrid or a remote work environment. Um, when everyone's in the office, it's a little bit easier because you can all just go grab lunch. You can all have an ad hoc meeting. You can, mm -hmm. you know, go out for drinks after work. You know, there's things that uh, sort of that water cooler uh, ad hoc informality that happens in offices that is hard to replicate, you know, in a, in a hybrid or a remote work environment. So the key with the remote work environment, this is something that, that I struggle with as a, as a leader is you have to remember to carve out that time mm -hmm. to collaborate and get people together. And, and certainly, you know, we're all collaborating, we're all having our Zoom meetings whenever we need them, but you're missing out on those little interactions, those unplanned interactions that oftentimes can be very rich with, you know, results and progress and innovation, all that good stuff. Um, so I think it's just a, a the key to that, I would say, is just that structure and the, the deliberate approach to making sure that people are still collaborating and you're still building that that culture that you're trying to build. Yeah, definitely. Maybe a, a deeper understanding um, of different environments and how that can affect um, different workers. I know within my research, I looked at um, a Forbes article that recently talked about the importance of change management and family just as a result of a joint study done by NPR and Harvard University 
over 35% of families with young children are struggling with childcare issues. And that now, according to these experts, needs to be included in change management types of strategies. And maybe that just hits home since my children, you know, completely disrupted last week's podcast, right. <laughs> because of our childcare transition. But that's something that I never really considered on at least the change management side. And so I was wondering, you know, as a parent, um, what you felt about that and a leader. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, there's a certain amount of empathy that you have to have now and, and uh, understanding. I think we can all relate to the, you know, the kid distractions, the, in my case, it's usually not my kids, it's usually my dogs that interrupt. So, you know, we all have different, um, different situations that we're, they were trying to deal with. So I think it's, you know, that empathy and understanding, uh, is important. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's, it's a very real consideration that, um, a lot of organizations are still struggling with. Yeah, definitely. Um, I know within digital stratosphere podcast this week, our sister podcast, we talked to Mitch Audison, who's a senior manager about supply chain. And we also interviewed him about, um, you know, going through a parent digital transformation too. So we're actually taking a little mini series to kind of talk about that as well with um, some of our team members. So excited to kind of bring that to the table um, at some point. Um, oh, cool. I'll have to check yeah. that one out. Yeah, definitely. I might invite you to be on it. Who knows? Yeah, right. <laughs> Depends on how this one goes. Yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and I think that's an awesome transition into kind of chatting with Doug, because I loved some of the, the team infrastructure and best practices he gave, you know, when you're talking to him. So um, I'm excited to have him on next. Yeah, absolutely. That, that'll be good. And, you know, we're, we're kind of shifting gears now going from general trends and predictions for 2022 and now shifting gears to, you know, in the trenches and actual uh, implementation happening in real time or a digital transformation happening in real time. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to have Doug Hansen, who's the director of ERP from Poly Concept North America. Uh, you're going to want to stick around for this interview because it's uh, sort of from a client's perspective, a third stage client's perspective. What are the lessons? What are the things that uh, he's struggling with and trying to accomplish right now as, as we go through the journey with him? So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are involved in any sort of digital transformation or business change initiative, you will want to download the 2021 Digital Transformation Report. With its comprehensive overview of business and technology trends and best practices, this report is a must-have guide for any transformation project or executive team. Download this free report by visiting Third Stage Consulting at thirdstage-consulting.com. You can also visit our website to learn more about us or download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success. Hello and welcome back to Transformation Ground Control episode number 42. I'm here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes every Wednesday on YouTube, LinkedIn, as well as all the audio podcast platforms like Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, et cetera. Um, excited for our next guest. Our next guest is Doug Hansen, who's the director of ERP for a company called Polyconcept North America. And uh, PCNA, as they are known, is an organization or a company that creates promotional products for organizations. And uh, they have operations throughout the world, despite their, their name uh, with North America in the, in the name. They actually have operations in Europe and other parts of the world as well. 
Um, so we're gonna have Doug on the show to talk about uh, from his client perspective, uh, what some of the things are that he's dealing with right now as we help him through his transformation journey and as we work together uh, on their journey. Uh, so with that all being said, Doug, welcome to the show. Thanks, Eric. Good to be here. Appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, glad to have you here today. So I guess just to start, maybe tell us, first of all, a little bit about you and your background, and then I'll, then I'll shift gears and ask you about Poly Concepts here in a second. Yeah, I've been with PCNA just two years, and uh, although I've been doing ERP, full life cycle stuff for 30 plus um, at lots of different companies. Um, right now, I'm, I'm leading the ERP strategy as well as all the business applications across uh, multiple divisions, multiple sites, multiple, uh, you know, P&Ls, uh, brand names. Uh, my job is really to, to make sure we engage with the right software that, that'll meet the business strategy. Right. Okay, great. And then um, I'm going to come back to your a little bit more about your background here in a second. But tell us, before I do that, tell us about Polyconcepts North America. What does Polyconcepts do? What, what's sort of your business model? Sure. Yeah, we're a top four uh, supplier in the promotional products industry. So we make the swag that everybody used to get before COVID <laughs> at the uh, trade shows, et cetera. Um, so we are a top four supplier. Our primary customers are large distributors like 4M Print, Staples, some of those. Um, but we also sell straight to the market on our PCNA.com website. Um, and we make everything from apparel, you know, golf shirts to uh, backpacks and, and uh, other general swag. And we brand it with uh, corporate logos. Right. And, and you were telling me uh, right before we went live here today that um, during COVID, you've had a lot of corporate uh, business that's come from people giving um, care packages and whatnot to employees that are working remotely or employees that maybe you're not interacting with every day. Tell us a little bit about that. Is it, it sounds like that's driving some of your growth in recent months. It, it really has. I mean, it's 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 been, you know, kind of good and bad with COVID, but we've had to really, really respond. Um, for example, a lot of corporations have work from home policies for the last 18 to 20 months. Um, so a lot of companies have uh, as as return to work is starting up, there's care packages being sent. So we offer a, a sure ship service. Um, where if you've got uh, 100 employees or, or 20,000, you know, we'll send a care package, drop ship it straight to their home. Um, and I think it goes a long way towards getting people revved up and ready to go back to work. Yeah, makes them feel connected to the business, even though they're not physically there every day necessarily. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So with Polyconcept, then why... You know, why did Polyconcept decide to embark on a digital transformation? Maybe what was the problem statement or what was the situation you were trying to address by thinking about a transformation like this? Well, we've got a lot going on in IT and a lot of projects. And, and one of the reasons I'm here is to try to sort out the, the strategy and, and lay in sort of a, a sequence that makes sense. And, and maybe not starting with ERP, but at least knowing what our vision is for ERP is is fundamental. Um, we just invested a, a large amount of money and time building our new website. And we've got other edge apps, including things like Salesforce and manufacturing it, execution systems and financial systems and reporting systems. Um, those are all in flight. You know, we want to look at this as um, uh, one of the key priorities is obviously to grow that top line growth, you know, sales. So we need customer facing solutions out there and that's that's in flight. We're well along the path to doing that. 
So it's really time to start looking at our ERP strategy. Um, we've got, like I said, multiple brand names all running separate P&Ls, um, which creates a, a large challenge with integration. If we want to share resources or inventory across our brand names um, with different ERPs, we've got several. <laughs> it's, it's hard to connect those. So we need to lay a groundwork, a strategy. So as we're building all the edge systems, um, we're building them with the knowledge of what our ERP, our transaction systems are going to look like. Right. So we're, we're, we're forward compatible and, and that's what we're doing right now. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's um, interesting. So, so really just getting a, you know, a, a broader view of all of your systems you have now and what you're kind of going to shift to longer term and just having that clear vision laid out and the strategy laid out is, is that sort of a summary of what you're trying to accomplish? Absolutely. And then, and we've got a couple of smaller divisions. Um, we've already gone live with one. Um, down at our Charlotte facility. Um, it's a company called Journal Books, which is in our portfolio. Um, they went live during COVID, um, supported remotely. <laughs> it went flawlessly. We took advantage of the fact that we did have capacity, you know, human capacity at the shop while, while the revenues were down. Um, so rather than let people take time off, we, we put them to work doing ERP. So we, we were successful there. We've also got another smaller startup um, that we're we're, we're going to roll out here in the next uh, one two quarters. So we're going to try to start small and, and you know, proof of concept and then build out the ERP platforms, you know, forward. Um, that's, right. that's what we're doing right now. Now, was it hard to get um, internal buy-in and, and management support at a time when your revenues were softer than you would have liked? Was that was that a difficult thing or was that sort of a no-brainer to say, hey, let's let's focus on something we wouldn't otherwise have time for? PCNA is a fantastic company. They're really forward thinking. They, they knew this wasn't going to last forever. Um, we, we've been lucky in, in, in a very um, profitable business. So the, the rainy day finally came and, and, and it, it was the right time. And I think the leadership of the company um was kind of wise enough to know it's time to buckle down and do some of these investments right now or at least start start the process up um so that we can beat the competition when everybody wakes up from from covid which is what we intend to do right it's good yeah. so you get, you're getting aggressive and using it as an opportunity to to get ahead really rather than you know staying put where you are in the industry absolutely that's great um so you, you sort of, you started to answer this question a little bit when you were talking about some of the the revenue growth that you're trying to accomplish, which, which by the way, before I get to my real question, um, I think that's super interesting that you say that because most of the time when you hear of ERP implementation or digital transformation, a lot of times organizations are thinking about um, reducing cost. You know, how can I be more efficient? How can I scale? How can I, you know, do more with less or whatever? But you guys are really looking at this as not just that, but also a, a um, sort of that customer facing side how, how can i how can we sell more how can we increase revenue yeah 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 and so you know you can and like i said i've done a lot of these and and, and sometimes it's more of a cost takeout the point of view um, but but our point of view on on this is you know treat the customers like you want to be treated obviously have great processes um, where it makes it easier for customers to do business and especially repeat business with us, um, take those revenues and, and eventually then talk about optimizing and taking cost out, you know, go get that revenue, make a, a happy customer base and grow it. Um, 
and 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 the cost takeout will come with scale. You know, if we can if we can build scalable solutions, just naturally we're going to get more profitable as we grow. Right, right. So in addition to that, um, that revenue growth and in making happy customers and repeat customers and that sort of thing, are there other other goals that you and your team have for this transformation or sort of high level yeah. objectives you're trying to accomplish? Yeah, one of the things we're very high volume. Like I say, we do thousands and thousands of, of shipments every day out of all of our, our plants, lots and lots of them. Our turn times um, to print a product can be hours. You know, we don't measure things in days. Mm. Uh, so efficiency of that that process from from order customer order through delivery and send in the tracking information up to our website and out to our customers, you know, that, that needs to be compressed. And, and in a high volume situation, you, you really don't want to have a pause in the process. So we didn't start out this big, you know, we're a amalgamation of several acquisitions through the years and, and other things. Um, so processes weren't built for this kind of scale in some cases. And the ERP systems that are here, some of them are 15, 20 years old, right? Mm. So there was no sort of chain of custody sort of built into the ERP. Of, um, warehouse management systems weren't as robust as, as a lot of the modern platforms are now. Um, so we need to take advantage of some of that. And that'll, that'll, that'll shrink that, that time down to process each of these orders and eliminate a lot of touches. Right, right. Now, you mentioned um, the acquisitions um, that you've had as an organization and some of the brand names you've acquired and sort of folded into the PTNA umbrella. Is there an initiative to, as part of this project or, or maybe in parallel to uh, standardize or create common business processes across those different brands? Or are you letting them sort of remain independently operated or sort of semi-decentralized or how, how is that going to work? as far as how it all comes together? There, there, there's sort of no proactive process right now where we're trying to standardize processes. We, we don't want to kill the goodness of, of some of the brand names. For example, our apparel businesses um, operate a little different than what we call our hard goods, You know, whether it's a vacuum bottle or a, or, or a backpack. Apparel has got its own quirks. Right. So we don't want to come in and engineer processes and mandate certain gates in the process that may not make sense to, to a product. Right. We need to we need to connect, you know, at the data at the higher level in, in terms of things like being able to share workload around the plants and that kind of level. But at the individual plant level, we're not going to kind of mandate it. it's got to be exactly the same. And frankly, we haven't decided whether we're going to have one common ERP platform across. We just need them to talk to each other, right? right. So we're going to take them on a case by case. Now, if we pick a great ERP that'll work for one business, there's a very high likelihood the blueprinting for the next business will go short and it'll become obvious that yeah, that's the right decision. Whether we create a single instance or multiple instances of the same ERP is, is really to be determined. We're still early in that journey. Yeah. So you really do have an open open mind in terms of determining, you know, based on what kind of technologies are evaluated and which ones ultimately are selected and implemented, that would sort of determine whether or not that becomes a common platform. Yeah, it goes back to we're top line motivated right now, right? So we're not going to pull the guts out of a, of a great business that's making money just, just to standardize it.
right? Right. Yeah. All right. Good stuff. Thanks, Doug. We're going to take a quick break and I've got a lot more questions for you when we return with more Transformation Ground Control. We'll be right back. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello and welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 42. I'm here with Doug Hansen, who's the director of ERP for Polyconcept North America. We're chatting about some of the lessons and some of the findings that he has in his digital transformation journey. So let's jump right back into the conversation. So um, before I get to my next question, just a couple, uh, just to sort of touch base back with our audience here. Um, I had asked you to sort of chat, put in the, drop in the chat box where you're, where you're listening in from today or where you're joining us from. And we've got people all over the world here today. We've got um, Cleveland, Ohio, United Kingdom, Vietnam, Toronto, um, Myanmar, so people all over the world. So we appreciate everyone joining here today. Well, shout out to Toronto. We've got a facility up there called Trimark. And uh, we, we like our Canadian friends. And we also have a facility called T-Shirt and Sons over in uh, the UK. So oh, shout out to Dover, UK as well. Yeah, so you've got, you've got your, uh, your geographic coverage is, is covered here too. Um, yeah, it looks like we've got a couple of people from UK actually. So um, thanks everyone for joining. And again, drop any uh, chat or drop any questions you might have in the chat box here and we'll, we'll get to those questions here um, as we go. Um, so I know you're early in the digital transformation journey, um, but just so far, based on what you're seeing so far and, and where you are right now, sort of looking, looking around you in the trenches as you're sort of entering the battlefield, if you will, of, of transformation, what are some of the early lessons that you're, you're finding, like things that are, are kind of standing out as big ahas or surprises or, or just general lessons? Well, um, first of all, the ERP journey is not an IT led project. It's a business strategy that needs to be a hundred percent supported by the executives and the ownership or the corporation, whichever style you're used to. Um, and we have that here. It's, it's, it's a hundred percent business driven, strategically aligned. So that's, that's a good thing. You know, what are some of the things that, that, that has made us think? Well, the other thing that, that, that I brought when I came on here is, like I said, experience doing, doing ERPs. And there was a little bit of a shock when they found out we're going to have to take the best talent out of the business for an extended period of time to go do this journey, right? You, you don't get to just sit in a meeting and say, here's how you want it to look and then wake up in a year and have a new ERP. This, this is a full-time job for multiple people, for multiple functions, um, so that you, you build it correct. Right. So that's interesting. So, so how, 
you know, at a, at a high level, then, um, you know, if you don't mind sharing just rough order of magnitude, how many team members do you have there full time on the project? Or maybe are there others that are part time on top of that? Or how does that team composition look right now? Well, right now, like I said, we're still early. I don't want to give out numbers because some of the people may or may not have been invited to be on the team quite yet. So we're, we're early in it. But for some of the smaller sites that we've already gone live, um, we, we tend to outsource the, the sort of technical work, right? But we keep the business process mapping and the, the, the power user involvement in sourced, in other words, internal resources. So for smaller sites, I'd have uh, eight to nine people engaged business, a couple IT people just to handle interfaces and reports, you know, the classic rice and, um, and then we pull in consultants to do the configuration and and all the the, the work that hopefully only needs to be done once um, along the journey. Gotcha. Okay. Um, your question we have from from the audience, which is actually a really good one, and it sort of dovetails into that the talk about the the team and uh, this whole concept of of embarking on a transformation while revenues are low and at a time when when uh, you know, there's so much uncertainty in the world, but how, so this is from Lippy on uh, LinkedIn. She asks, I'd be interested to know how long is your transformation journey and how do you keep the motivation going? So do you know yeah. yet how transformation will be? And have you had any issues yet sort of keeping that momentum and that motivation high for, for the team that you have? So, so I'll start by saying we are not going to go in with a mindset that we're going to make the software fit the business. Sorry about that. We're going to go in fitting the business to the software, right? So, so one of the reasons that we're in such a bind right now is because we've got 15 or 20 years worth of customization done on old platforms, which is unsustainable. It just gets more expensive over time. So one of the, the good things we did up front is, is convince ourselves along with the, the leadership team that we're going to, whatever we pick, it better be 80, 90% of what we need because we're not going to modify it. Right. And, and if something doesn't work, we'll, we'll, we'll redo the process to fit the software so that we can run out of the box for the most part. Right. So with that as a prerequisite, these these things can, like I said, we've got a half a dozen divisions. Um, some of the larger divisions can can go in less than a year. Right. You can you can do these in nine or ten months. Um, smaller divisions, um, six or seven months, depending. Right. How do you keep people motivated? Um, <laughs> there needs to be some some high level recognition. There, there really needs to be some incentive type packages built into this because remember they're they're leaving their job. Um, they're leaving the security of you know where they were the, the top dog in a department, and now they're going to be a SME and taken out of the grid for for nine months or twelve, depending on on how much. Um, so they're. You know, we've we've considered all those things and they are the future thought leaders and leaders of the organization. So we need to treat them as such. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's and I'm sure as you as you go, you'll learn, you know, as, as you get into the thick of the transformation, you'll learn how to keep people motivated. And I imagine different people are motivated by different tactics and strategies that you might have. It's been tough, you know, to be honest. Um, like I said, I've been doing this for years and um, it, it's. It, it's kind of a Silicon Valley startup mode, you know, kind of thought process. You show up, you team up, you do whatever, 
you're drinking coffee sometimes late at night <laughs> to, to stay awake. Um, but you, you kind of work together as a team. COVID's created some interesting challenges, you know, that dynamic using teams, you, you know, to, to have your daily calls and things is, is a little harder. Um, but we pulled it off. Um, well, it took a lot, a lot of people time to get used to kind of a remote uh, effort, but we didn't find that it added more than 10 or 15 percent to a, to a schedule. Um, Interesting. So far, it, it's been pretty efficient. Yeah, in some ways, it. I imagine there might be some cases that, like we've seen with some clients where you, you can actually speed up some things because you don't have to wait to meet in person and schedule right. scheduling easier at times. Um, but it, you're also less productive or less effective at times not being in person. So I, I meant somewhat of a wash. Yeah, going forward, um, and, and we're, we're limping back in like everybody as far as COVID, but going forward, we definitely will have, you know, sort of one week on, two weeks off site. Um, you got to have that FaceTime. You got to have the dynamic where you're in a conference room mapping processes on the wall and, and, and agreeing on things as a group. Um, and it's a lot easier to do in person, but there's a lot, also a lot of work that can be done remote. Right. So got to parse it out a little bit differently. Yeah. The good news with COVID is it sort of forces transformation teams to realize or figure out the things that you can do remotely or that you don't need to be, you know, in person or whatever the case may be. It's, it's funny because, and this is a little off the tangent a little bit here, but you know, we've learned to do all of our support functions, whether it's, you know, finance or planning, or we've learned to do all that remote, right? So as we're building out and mapping ERP processes during COVID, we've kind of got an eye towards how will this work without having somebody be able to see a process? Can, can they run this thing? Um, are, are we engineering the process right for the future workforce, whatever it's going to look like? Um, right. It, it's a different perspective than the old days when, when when everybody could just walk down to the factory and see the process. You know, it's different. Right. Yeah. Different different mindset for sure. Yeah. Um, so what um, I'm going to come back. I'm, I have some questions for you about your, your past experience with ERP implementations, digital transformations. And, and I'll, I'll tie this question back to that as well in a second. But maybe just in general, as we talk about uh, PCNA in particular, um, what have you found is working best for you so far? I mean, what are the things where you feel like, okay, we've really got this dialed in and, you know, these are the things we're doing really well and it seems to be working for us. What, what kind of jumps out at you? I think we've got good governance. So we've, we've got a, a cadence set up with the leadership team. If there's any big questions about scope, scope creep, budget, you know, those kind of big levers, um, we've got a process to resolve those quickly. Um, the team's empowered to make the, 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 the tactical decisions every day. We don't need to ask permission, but the strategic ones, you know, there is a, is a process. Um, and, and, and we've got strong funding, strong support. Um, all that stuff was, was done up, up front for each of these various divisions that we're looking at. And like I said, we're in, we're in a different phase um, for, for each of them, um, but, but strong across the board support from the, from the senior level. So there's right. no skepticism about whether this is the right thing to do, which which is a death killer to to a project. You know, if you got a skeptical leader coming in questioning, then the first slip up, you know, you're going to be thrown off the bus somewhere. That's not going to happen here. Right. 
So you've got clear governance, you've got the buy-in and support. It's pretty clear that your executive team is on board and supporting yeah. this. Um, you know, that's that's impressive and interesting because, you know, we saw a, a pretty, if, if you look at all of our clients across the board, we had clients that fell into two sort of extremes. One were the ones that you're talking about, which is sort of like your situation where uh, you use this as an opportunity, COVID as an opportunity to invest in technology and invest in the future. And then yeah. others that were panicked, you know, or fear driven that said, hey, we're going to cut, we're going to put the project on hold, we're not going to invest in technology right now until we get get out of this. So it's interesting to kind of hear that hear your perspective on on that, that long term play and that long term perspective you guys have. And, and I see Dave over in, in the chat has had a good comment process mapping is in reengineering is key for transformation. I, I agree 100 percent that the difference we're doing this time is is we're doing those high level process maps up front. And we're finding out which of those processes really do move the needle on our strategy. And in, in the old style ERP, you'd, you'd go buy the software and then you the first six months, you'd sit there and map everything out and configure the system. And, and to me, you know, I've been around a long time and that's that's a mistake. I think it was made for years was to ignore what it is, your what your vision is. So setting the vision up front. Um, agnostic of the platform. You don't need a platform solution to, to look at the business process and decide what's important. So having that locked in, you just whip it out and say, no, you said this was important, right? So right. we're going to pick a piece of software that will uh, move the needle for those important processes. So it's just a timing thing. Do it up front. Yeah. Yeah. And it's especially with how flexible different systems are in the market today and the fact that really your business should be driving the technology back to your early point about this being a business initiative, not a technology initiative. Yeah. Um, that is certainly in line with that, that philosophy for sure. Um, what, what do you see as the biggest challenges so far, you know, as you're sort of coming up on the horizon here of, of getting further into the transformation, what, what red flags are you seeing? What risks are you concerned about? Yeah, I think, I think organizationally, it, it, it's always going to be a challenge. You know, there's this argument that, um, if you go to each department and you say, I need I need a good resource to represent purchasing or whatever, if you're doing an ERP project or whatever the functions are, um, they're either going to give you their best and brightest or, or they're going to give you somebody that's extra, somebody they can afford to, to do without. It's it's a bad idea to, to take the lower performer and stick them on your most important project. But that, that tends to happen. So one of the challenges is, is our governance process doesn't doesn't allow that to happen, right? So we're gonna we're gonna have a process and we're gonna engage HR and we're gonna do our due diligence to make sure at each of the sites we've got the right people. And so sometimes you can't just pull them out, and, and we may have to delay a start until we can um, go do some hiring, some backfilling, you know, which is all part of the cost of doing these these things, because um, you can't have people working part-time on an ERP project and, and then have their day job to worry about. Um, it, it often doesn't work. It may work in a small deployment, you know, uh, but it, it wouldn't work in a larger scale, you know, multi hundreds of million dollar type division. Um, it, it just won't work too, too much right. going on. So that would be probably one of the biggest challenges. Yeah. Just making sure you've got, you've got the right, the right resources and, and it's not just a number, but making sure you've got the, the A players and the, the people that I imagine are probably the hardest to pull out of your day-to-day -day operations are the ones you most likely are going to want on this project. Yeah. 
and just sort of some insider baseball stuff, if there's any other IT people on here. The, the other challenge is um, sometimes you get kickback from internal IT teams because they don't like the technology or the platform or the database or, or some other thing, right? And it, it's, a, it's a bit nerve-wracking for people that have been working sort of on the Microsoft stack for the last 10 years to say you're going to go off of that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so we can get in our own way a little bit too. And, and, and that's always a concern, you know, what, what's going to happen to my job when this strategy gets rolled out, you know, kind of thing. So we're working on that, the change management associated with that and career pathing and all that. Um, good technical resources are, are very adaptive to technology. So we don't have that because we're, we're mostly Microsoft stack centric right now. But um, in, in some of the smaller divisions, it's just a rip and replace complete new technology. So. Right. Right. All right. Good stuff. Thanks, Doug. We're going to take a quick break and I've got a lot more questions for you when we return with more Transformation Ground Control. We'll be right back. If you are involved in any sort of digital transformation or business change initiative, you will want to download the 2021 Digital Transformation Report. With its comprehensive overview of business and technology trends and best practices, this report is a must-have guide for any transformation project or executive team. Download this free report by visiting Third Stage Consulting at thirdstage-consulting.com. You can also visit our website to learn more about us or download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success. Hello, and welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 42. I'm here with Doug Hansen, who's the director of ERP for Polyconcept North America. We're chatting about some of the lessons and some of the findings that he has in his digital transformation journey. So let's jump right back into the conversation. So in terms of the, the uh, change component of this project or uh, this transformation, how big of a mindset shift, cultural shift, organizational shift, operational shift, how, how big of a change is this going to be for Polyconcept? Um, do you, can you, I know you haven't gotten through all the details. There's a lot yeah. you don't, but how do you, how do you, Think that'll play out. It, it, it's going to be pretty large. Um, you know, one one of the things that if you try to build an, an ERP that's touchless from from order to shipment, so some jobs, a lot of jobs are going to get a lot easier, and, and there's a few areas and functions that it might not get easier, right? Mm-hmm. And so the, the tough part is, you know, telling somebody they've got to enter a data point so that we have that data that we can ship up to the website, for example, is extra work. And so the change management trying to explain why this is important and how they're part of this process takes a little time. You know, not everybody is sort of an end-to-end process expert, but they know their area real well. So it, it does take a little up, upfront time to explain the, the, the vision end-to-end and see how their step adds value to the next step and so on. Um, and in an integrated ERP, um, it's obvious to those of us that do it every day, but it's not to those that, that do a specific function. Right. Yeah. Compared to compared to other implementations you've been involved with in your career, uh, which I'm going to sort of lead into here. But how how does this um, 
the magnitude of change here at, at Polyconcept, how, how would you compare that to other yeah. implications you've been involved with? Much less here at, at PCNA, just because we're not mandating common processes. You know, we're not putting a bunch of thou shalt do it this way out there. You know, we, we know what our end game is and we know what the high priority needle moving processes are. So we're going to focus on that. All the stuff in between may, may not matter. So, for example, at some other large corporations that I was employed at in the, in the past, you know, we would start it out and, and blueprint how you're going to be a manufacturer or a distributor or a repair division, whichever, you know, you were in a large corporation. And then everybody had to adapt to it. And, and in fact, some, sometimes there, these, these outliers were better processes, but we ignored them because they were different, <laughs> right. you know. So we're not, we're not really going down that path quite yet. So it's going to relieve a lot, a lot of the stress. I think we, we don't typically when you get people in a room, they can figure out a process and, and how to make it work. You just don't allow software mods, but you can allow process changes as long as the output meets the criteria then how you get there is, is less important. Yeah. 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 And I think that's, that's interesting because the, you know, it sounds like the, valuing the flexibility and each of the brands to be able to service their customers the way they need to is more important than being right. You know, I, I hate to see use the word right, but, you know, being right in terms of what the, the right answer is or the common answer is going to be for business processes. That's, it sounds like that's less important than just making sure that you've got the flexibility and the visibility into the operations. Yep, exactly. Yep. So is, is part of your uh, transformation, by the way, is it looking at um, not just the ER, the core ERP system, but are you also looking at some of these edge technologies, like you mentioned, MES, manufacturing systems as, as well as Salesforce? Are you looking at everything or just mainly that core back office ERP function? Yeah, everything is the short answer. And, and, and the reason is we're not, you know, a, a heavy manufacturer. In other words, we're, we're very light. The, the routings are or one or two lines, print this logo on this product in this position, right? So we're a distributor first and a decorator slash manufacturer second. And, and so it, it, it does, it's a little bit different than, than, than some of the other ones I've done in the past. Right. Right. Okay. Um, and then when, when you think about, um, you know, just some of your past experience then, uh, with um, other implementations you've been involved with, what are some of the you know three or four major lessons or sort of the major uh, success factors that you would uh, you you've taken away from those experiences that you're applying here at, at Polyconcept? So, so to re-say the question, what are we not going to do here that we did before wrong? <laughs> right. That is a good way to put. It. Yeah, so we're not going to allow scope creep. Unless there's some kind of compliance or legal reason, we're just not going to allow customization, right? Um, we're not we're, we're not going to treat this. You know what is the saying? Good, fast, and cheap. Pick two, right? So, you know, we we want to go fast to the extent that we don't break something. We we don't need this thing to be a two or three years at every every division. You know, it it really should just get 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 deployed as long as we stay within scope. Um, so so we're going to manage that very very carefully, and it, no individual is going to have the ability to 
to, to change that, that scope decision. Um, we're going to get locked and loaded with, with the right budget. Um, you know, it's always a, a bit of a political game to come in there and do the tap dance. Well, I can do this for X millions of dollars, or I can do it in this many months. But there's a there's a lot of data out there that says that most most things are under budgeted, <laughs> and and the time frames are are too short, right? So give give people a, a target that's actually achievable, right? And that's that's what we're doing here. We're not getting unreasonable and expecting people to work 20 hours a day to go hit a number that's frankly going to yield a bunch of errors because people were too tired to get it right. Um, right. Keep it simple, start small. You know, we're not going to go through six months of blueprinting at each plant. We're going to stand up the software, load the data and go run a conference room pilot and find out why it won't work. Right. right. We're going to get out with a list of things to, 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 to fix or maybe a config tweak or this or that and then we'll do it again and we'll do it as many times as it takes but it, it tends to take longer than people think um, so in the past um, it, it's a valid leadership strategy to to impose targets out there knowing you're going to miss them but most people are smarter than that now if you put your best and brightest on a team they'll figure it out fast right. you know and, and, and then you're losing the momentum you know, people don't trust the dates or budgets they're given, so therefore they ignore them, and that's that's a that, that's a, a losing strategy. You know, total transparency, and and really let the people doing the process tell me how long it's going to take. Send it over to the PMO, run the schedule, and see what it looks like. And if you can't hit a schedule, then go either add resources or descope. Right? You gotta you gotta move the levers around until it hits everybody's needs. Right. Yeah makes total sense and then you know not to mention the headwinds that you create you know from the back to the question that lippy had about how do you keep the team motivated there's there's nothing more demotivating than realizing that we're in a in a no-win situation where we're not going to accomplish this budget we're not going to accomplish this timeline yet we're being pushed to do something that's totally unrealistic i'll add one other thing related because I've, I've tried to follow the industry trends you know on on, on what works and what doesn't and um Fail fast is, is something I've really started doing a lot in the last several years. Um, don't kick people when, when something breaks. Reward them for taking the risk and then regroup and how are we going to fix it and move on kind of thing. So, you know, it's painful to watch meeting after meeting if somebody's too timid to pull the trigger to see if it works. You know, stand up the software and go see, see if you can break it. You know, that's it's a beautiful thing. And then, you know, um, try not to beat people down if, if they make the wrong decision because they won't do it twice, typically. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Now, what about, um, you know, one of, one of your strategies is, has been, one of your growth strategies has been to move into the um, e-commerce space. Um, how does that whole sort of business model shift or evolution how does that factor in or how does that tie back to this transformation or how does this transformation potentially support that strategy? Well, by focusing on the front end and the, and the customer interface, which is our website, our EDI links, all the machine to machine stuff. Um, by focusing on that, we're, we're figuring out how much of the volume we can shift to, to an automated sort of order flow and automated status out. So our, our platform from the customer's point of view are those 
you know, e-commerce interfaces or websites or whatever they are. Um, so the ERPs need to be built to truly support that journey, right? Think of the Domino's pizza oven status, the Amazon model, those things. You can't build a system now and leave people in the dark if they're paying the bills, right? They, they want to know and they don't want to have to get on a phone and call somebody to ask where their order is, you know? So we're, we're building things and, and processes that are proactively throwing that, that data out there. So if we're in a supply chain shortage, which a lot of companies are right now, we're, we're going to go proactively, you know, if, we, if an order date moves because something's waiting on a boat at a port, then, then we're gonna proactively build those processes to, to communicate that out um, rather than wait and see. You know, so it, it, it's changing our approach a little bit and, and the successful companies in the world right now are doing it right. And, and, you know, we have to mimic those in a high volume environment. Right, right. All right, good stuff. Thanks, Doug. We're going to take a quick break and I've got a lot more questions for you when we return with more Transformation Ground Control. We'll be right back. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Hello and welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 42. I'm here with Doug Hansen, who's the director of ERP for Polyconcept North America. We're chatting about some of the lessons and some of the findings that he has in his digital transformation journey. So let's jump right back into the conversation. So the question is from San Antonio, from Roger from San Antonio. Uh, he's he's uh, joining from YouTube and he says, how, much, how would you make a change to an existing business process and know if it will fit into the intended ERP system that has been picked by the C-suite. So it sort of ties back to what you were saying before about blueprint up front yeah. and your business processes up front. And then what you were just talking about as it relates to your business model changing, the evolution of the business model. How do you how do you know if you make a change to an existing process, if it'll fit that technology that you might end up choosing later on? Yeah, and it, it's a great question. And each, each specific area it, it is a conversation. So in other words, it, it, We've got a division in Pittsburgh. It's a large division and they want to do things different on the shop for as, as far as how they license plate the, the inventory and move it through the factory. And so we have to go back and ask our software vendor, how does that work on your system? Right. And so in this case, it, it's okay that they made the change that the transition to the new platform isn't going to be a challenge, but there's other cases. If they, if they make a, a change that involves a, a, a data field that doesn't exist, for example, over on a new platform, then, then we'd have to rethink that. 
Um, there was a question above that talked about centrally managed data versus other, you know, it, it, it you know, most companies have some kind of PLM or some kind of central um, customer database, whether it's Salesforce or others. And, and, and we're, we're no different, right? We have that. And so we think of the ERPs as the transaction engines for, for production and the system of record for accounting and all that. We, we don't think of it as our customer relationship management solution or, or, or any of these sort of corporate things. So where we have things like credit management that cut across all the divisions, we need that customer to be managed up above the ERPs, right? And we need that credit limit established at a higher level and then pushed back down to the ERP. So we have to look at everything happening right now and, and make a judgment call. Um, and so that, you know, this is a multi-year journey. And so you, you wanna taper back a little bit on some of the radical changes you're doing to make things better on the old process, but we're not going to call a code freeze because nobody should have to wait two years to, you know, businesses are, are always evolving. Um, so it's not easy to the question. It, it's, it's, it's got to go through this, this, this process, the committee, as the ERP team gets smarter and smarter, as the super users learn the new system, then they can answer those questions directly from the business rather than it having to go through a committee. But we're most plants, we're still at the early cycle where most people don't understand the new solution enough to judge whether a process change to the old solution is, is going to impact it. So. Right. Yep. That yeah. makes sense. Now, yeah. now, Nikki on LinkedIn asked a good question here, which is uh, should customer data be centrally managed if a number of platforms are used and if direct customers and distribution networks yeah. are in play. And I, that's probably especially relevant here because you have different brands, you have different business units. Um, sure. What are your thoughts there? For us, it's a hard yes. Absolutely hard yes. And and and, and customer, we have salesforce.com as our CRM of choice. And, and we've got a website out there now that customers are engaging with. And the website allows branches in by customer to, to whichever brands that they're a customer of. So it absolutely has to be above the ERP. Otherwise we'd have a, cust a different customer experience for each of the brands, which wouldn't, wouldn't be good. And we wouldn't be able to make decisions at the customer level, things like, like you said, like credit limit or how much are they buying from us, you know, to have it at the central level and feed things into it allows us to see what the book of sales looks like for a customer that might do business across multiple brands, right? And treat them differently. They, they may all of a sudden become an elite customer because of their book of business combined is as much as somebody that's their biggest customer at a single division. So that's the kind of intellectual property you get out of this once you start um, looking at the data from, from the high level. Right, right. Um, and then another question here from um, LinkedIn uh, from a, a audience member from the Netherlands says, what is the most difficult task to guarantee the success of the implementation? <laughs> Is it to adapt the IT software to the business process? Is it to train employees to use it properly? Is it to push management to implement strategies in a clear vision? What, yeah. what would you say? I think the most difficult task is to convince people 
that you've selected the right platform for your business and to trust that you're going to run this thing off the shelf, right? You're not going to go re-engineer. You're, you're going to open this thing up and run the process as the software supplier intended it and, and, and not, not goof with the standard flow of the process because you're used to doing it that way. There's, there's, you know, it's kind of like, be careful whose baby you call ugly. Right. <laughs> I mean, the people that are on the team are the ones that built these old processes. So, so they got pride of ownership. Oh, it works. We've done it this way for 15 years. Right. So it, it's one of the biggest headwinds to take somebody that's really good at what they do and they've done well for the company for years and tell them they're going to have to modify their solution, their, their process, excuse me, um, so that the software will, will do what it's intended to do. Um, so that's that scope management. It, more, I think this is just, you know more about trends than I do, but I think a lot of ERP deployments fail because of scope creep and, and, and heavy mods that are all of a sudden required because your business is so special. I, I, right. There's very few businesses that are that special. And I come from a lot of years of aerospace, and that's a pretty intricate set of processes to deal with. And none of those were even special, to be honest. Right, right. Yeah, that's a good good point. I think a lot of companies think they're special or, or that, uh, perceived sense of being special is really a form of chain resistance. You know, it's, it's, I'm special and I don't want to change. It's really the, the, it's code for, I don't want to change oftentimes. Yeah. So you kind of have to differentiate between that and the stuff you were talking about earlier, like the regulatory stuff or the, there are things that, not, you know, obviously you're yeah. going to need your business model or to regulatory needs, but more often than not, some of those um, feelings of being special are just, we don't want to change. So. Yeah. So that was a great question. And that's every year project that's ever happened has that same, same yeah. problem. Um, so, the question was, let me, let me read it here. I'm, I'm looking at the chat box on the side uh, to adapt the software to the process. So we covered that, or is it to train employees to use it properly? So there's a list of questions in there, but I'd say the number two is, is data. It's always data. So your, your legacy system data is, is in various states of disrepair and lack of managed, you know, lack of management. Um, a lot of times it's broken. So don't shovel a pile of crappy data into your new system until you clean it up and, and re resist the temptation to load all your history in your new ERP. Just don't do it. <laughs> You'll add months and months just Build a system, a history database somewhere and don't put all that history in your new system unless there's some real compelling reason to do it because it, it, it'll cross you up. Those are a couple more that I'd throw out. Yeah. Yeah. The data one's a good one. That's it's really easy to get um, lost in that data cleansing and, and just trying to make sense of the old data. Yeah. Uh, finding that balance of what do you really need versus what, you know, how long is it going to take me to clean that up and to get it ready for production? Um, so I guess just to, to, to wrap up the conversation here, um, what closing advice would you leave with a fellow, you know, ERP director, CIO, project team member, or just an organization that's about to go through an implementation or transformation? What sort of closing words of wisdom or just general uh, tips would you, would you leave for, the, for that audience? Uh, well, like I said, I've been doing this 30 years and we hired you guys. And why did we do that? Be because people have biases. You know, I've done SAP, I've done Oracle, I've done 
all, I've done five or six different types of ERPs. Everybody's got a bias. I don't like their sales department or I don't like their strategy or, you know, this or that. Get an independent assessment, a platform agnostic assessment. Figure out what you need before you pick the platform. Don't don't spend six months with with Oracle or SAP having them because it is beautiful software. They'll bring you to the biggest cities and show you the best demos. And it's fantastic. <laughs> the, the problem is, is they don't tell you what you didn't ask. Right. So start by asking the question, what is it you're trying to do here? Because just because your system's 10 years old doesn't mean you have to replace it. Right. right. What, what are you trying to do as a business? And which software platform brings the best functionality to those key areas? So figure out the key areas, pick the platform that's right for them, and then get them in to do a demo and a you know conference room pilot kind of a, a, a situation. But but don't do it backwards. That'd be my my biggest advice. And the mm -hmm. second advice would be um, don't limp in. Don't underestimate the cost. The, the cost of the software is not the most expensive piece of an ERP. The most expensive piece is when it fails two years down the road and you've, you've dumped $20 million into something and you have to start over. That, that's a complete waste, you know, that, and that happens a big percentage of the time. So, you, you know, <laughs> hire the right people um, internally and then hire the right integration partner. Don't hire somebody that's on their first one. You know, they're, they're doing this for the first time. Uh, wait in line for the best and, and, and then and it'll go a lot, a lot smoother. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good advice. Uh, I really like your first one. You know, the first response around, you know, have a clear vision and, and you know, have clear intent and intention and purposes and don't get too enamored by cool technology or the, or don't get too alarmed by the fact that you're on an old system or that you're not in the cloud or that you're not, you know, insert buzzword here. You know, I yeah. think it's easy to get caught up in a lot of that stuff without really realizing or, or thinking about, well, what does this mean to my business? Does this really help me accomplish my business goals or not? And if not, why am I doing it? All of the ERP companies have fantastic people, great technology. They, they all have experts, um, but they're 100% biased, right? So, so avoid the commotion of the bias early. And, and then once you have a, a selection made, it's fine. It won't hurt anything. You know, they'll bring everything to the table. Um, but, but it's got to be structured so that you don't get um, sort of intimidated by a, by a front end pro a sales technical sales process that leads you down the wrong path with the wrong integration to, you know, he's got really good at selling big deals and, 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 you know, cutting costs on the front end when they're going to make it up on the, the service end on the back. So, Fire beware. Right. Yep, exactly. Well, good. Well, that's that's good sound advice. And uh, I really appreciate you being here today to share some of your lessons. I know uh, our team enjoys working with you and the rest of your team. And you've been a great client so far. And so we really appreciate you giving back and sharing some of your lessons so far. And we'd love to maybe chat with you again in the future as you're even further into the thick of things and, and sort of get an update on where you're at and you know what additional lessons you might have along the way. But in the meantime, really appreciate you being here today, Doug. Thanks, Eric. Enjoyed it. It was a nice break from normal day. So I, I appreciate the opportunity.
Absolutely. And one last thing, uh, how can people learn more about Polyconcept, particularly for those corporate people that might want to buy some corporate swag or corporate? Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, PCNA, PCNA.com is our is our public website. Um, we're happy to take your money and sell us sell you some swag. Uh, right. Eric, we sent you a couple of samples and you can say that we, we, we're the best. We really are highest quality. So what, whatever you buy, I mean, we've, we've, we've got it. But check it out there. And if anybody's really interested to find me on LinkedIn, um, happy to engage or talk to people. Um, I do it all the time. I, I used to do consulting before I went down a bunch of other paths. So happy to love to, to mix it up with the community and talk to people or answer questions. Um, I got nothing to hide. I want to save some people some stress. Right. Yeah. If you can help people avoid some of the heartache and heartburn that you've had along the way, that's, that's even better. Right? Because there's, there's plenty of pitfalls to, to avoid. Absolutely. All right. Thanks very much, Doug. It was great having you on the show. A lot of good stuff that you unpacked there and we uncovered. In fact, we're going to unpack some of those concepts in a little bit more detail when we return. Kyler and I are going to follow up with a few of the points and a few of the threads that we uh, touched on here in the discussion. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 42. I'm here with Kyler Cheatham, and you can find new episodes every Wednesday on YouTube, LinkedIn, as well as all the audio podcast platforms. Be sure to also follow us on social media. Um, if you're on YouTube, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, wherever you are, be sure to follow us and get daily updates and daily content from us uh, on social media. So, uh, Kyler, we just had this conversation with Doug from PCNA. What were some of your observations or thoughts from that conversation? Yeah. Great case study. I mean, Doug definitely sounds like an ideal client, right? He's kind of got um, a great story. Something I wanted to ask about is, is Doug is the head of ERP, it sounds like. Is yeah. that typically a position that you see within your client's infrastructure? It's, it's fairly common. A lot of times yeah. you'll have either, if you don't have a director of ERP, you might have a director of IT, you might have a director of enterprise applications that's more of a broader role that doesn't just look at ERP, but just looks at enterprise apps in general. And I think that's what his role is, but yeah. his title is director of ERP. Um, and then other times you have sort of your traditional CIO, IT manager uh, titles as well. Um, so for bigger organizations, though, you, you're starting to see more roles like that, though, like the director of ERP or director of business systems, whatever the case yeah. may be. Yeah, that's definitely, I think that it's so great that they have that focused role. Um, yeah. And then, you know, speaking about focused role, I wanted to kind of dig into 
how he had mentioned that you really need to be mindful of putting your best talent and your future organization leaders on this team to accomplish this project. And I just wonder from a logistical standpoint, that seems a little scary, (laughs) you know, to take out all your high performers and put them on this project. Obviously you want the project to be successful, but do you ever see kind of the tips of balances of how the organization functions when you do that? Yeah, it's, it's super difficult to find that balance. I mean, clients struggle with that a lot. We struggle with it as consultants because we know what should happen in a perfect world. You would put all your A players, you on the project, you pull them out of their operations day to day, and you would backfill them with temp resources or, you know, reallocate work to other people. Sounds good in theory. As consultants, it's usually easier for us to recommend that or say that than to actually do it. Um, Actually doing it is obviously difficult. And so that's why the organizations that are most effective in doing that uh, to overcome that scariness that you talked about, the scary factor, is they'll plan ahead. I mean, if you're planning ahead for an implementation or you're going through a software evaluation right now or kind of laying out your digital strategy and roadmap, you want to be thinking right away, you know, how's this team going to be structured and how am I going to get that team in place? How am I going to mobilize the team? How am I going to backfill them? How am I going to reallocate roles and responsibilities? That stuff doesn't just happen overnight. We can't just say we're going to start a project next month and we're going to have, you know, people, you know, A, B, and C, you know, these certain people that are A players and, they're just going to come to the table and be ready to roll full time. Um, that's typically not how most organizations can work. So you really do have to plan ahead. And usually it's months ahead of time. You're, you're trying to identify those team members. You're trying to plan for it, working with their managers to make sure that the, you know, you reallocate work however you need to or backfill or whatever the case may be. So there's a whole strategy and plan behind just mobilizing the team. And that's why it's so important to make sure you have that stuff figured out before you start getting into, you know, bringing in a software vendor and system integrators and all that stuff. Sure. And and what about um, when we're talking about kind of our current climate of labor shortage? How can you kind of look at, okay, I, I usually would have a full team. Now I don't. I still need to move the top talent over there, but I have some holes within now my organization. And I obviously have to make sure we can still operate day-to-day um, efficiencies. So I wondered how you would recommend our listeners work through that. Yeah, great point on the labor shortage piece of it. And that just adds to the um, dynamic I was talking about, how as consultants, it's easy to say, just go ahead and pull your yeah. top players. And you know, a lot of times the top player roles are vacant. So what do you do then? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I don't know that I have a good answer for you, honestly. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, obviously you want to shore up those, those gaps. If anything, you need to have a little bit extra slack and extra capacity to be able to support a project like this. But what I would say is, is that, you know, just living in the realities of how a lot of our clients are struggling with that, with that labor shortage, sometimes, you know, if you can't fix the labor shortage problem, or you can't fill the vacancies that you have on your team, or you can't create the capacity you need to support the project to go at whatever pace you were planning on, you might have to rethink your pace. So it may be that, okay, we're, the reality is we're not going to fill these roles, you know, 100%, or we're going to have some vacancies. And uh, the day-to-day operational components are probably going to create conflicts or potential tension with this transformation project. So let's just be realistic about that. And maybe we adjust our expectations and our plan to reflect that. The problem is, is if your vendor comes in, your system integrator comes in and says, we can do this whole implementation in, say, 12 months. Well, you may there may be no way in hell that you're going to do the, the the 12 month implementation with the resources you have it might end up being an 18 24 whatever month project so you really have to be realistic about that plan 
and understanding realistically what are your resource availabilities and really resist that temptation to say, well, we don't have the resources. We're just going to outsource the entire thing to a system integrator because that's an even worse idea because you're going to spend a lot more time and money on it and you're not going to get what you want out of it and you're not going to have the internal capabilities you need. So uh, it's definitely a, a big challenge, but I, the good news is there's not just one path or one lever to pull on. Right. If you can't address the labor shortage issue, there's other ways you can adjust your transformation to, to accommodate. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's such an important piece because it can seem like, especially right now, the best option would kind of just to be hire, go do it, you know, that that type of um, process, which, you know, is is very logical, but sometimes there might be you know, kind of hidden risks that a lot of times we have to assume in there. And that kind of brings me to the next point that Doug made about going through a digital transformation or an ERP implementation when um, it's very high volume, when the, the business is going through some changes and some growth and talking about how it's important to actually do these types of projects during that high volume time. And I would think it would be kind of be the, the opposite of now you're taking, you know, a bunch of people out of the workforce that you really rely on and you're over, you know, you're, you're trying to um, undertake a huge project. It seems like that would be a lot going on for the business at one time. Yeah, it is. And it, it, it was an interesting comment and, it, and it's sort of counterintuitive or runs against conventional uh, thinking. But I see where he's going with that, that, yeah. you know, you, you can sort of pressure test the system and make sure you, you work out the kinks in, in a high volume environment. Now, you know, while there's some merit to that, you know, I think a lot of organizations really need, need to think about the, the risk of that, you know, for some organizations that are risk adverse, or they just don't have a lot of margin of error in their operations or their inventory levels, or, you know, the overall slack in their supply chain, that may not be a good idea. Um, so, you know, they're, I would say they're probably a little bit more of a finely tuned machine than a lot of clients we work with. There are some yeah. clients where that just would be a terrible idea to do, to do you know, what, what he's suggesting. But I think in their case, you know, obviously there's still a long way to go in this transformation journey to figure out if that's the right answer you know, or the right path or whatever uh, for them. But for some organizations, it's not. So I think the key is to really, again, back to you know, sort of like what we were talking yeah. about, the labor shortage thing is you have to really do a lot of self-reflection of, okay, who are we as a company? If we're uh, if we're an aggressive risk-taking company, maybe that does make a little more sense for us. We can take on that risk and we can sort of rip the Band-Aid off and just jump right into the, the eye of the hurricane, if you will, in terms of the, the transformation. But for some organizations, that's just not an option or it's not a good option or they're not willing to take that risk, in which case, you know, you might want to do the traditional way of thinking of, you know, do a small pilot or go live during the off-season when things are slow and you have time to work through the kinks. So, you know, you have to look at your, your overall capabilities and culture and risk tolerance before, you know, deciding if there's a one size fits all answer for you or not. Right. And I think the one thing that Doug really touched on was their ability to capture executive alignment and have that support from the executive team. It seems like, and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but that really is, you know, one of the number one keys to being able to do something successfully is having that alignment and not only the alignment, but also the goal setting that they had done as an organization to say, this is what we want to be able to achieve. Um, and that seems, you know, a lot of times what our clients or community that we're talking about digital transformation may be missing. Yeah. Yeah. That, that sort of uh, self-awareness and uh, 
clarity of direction, I think is, is really important. And he, you're right. He and the PCNA team seem to have that more than a lot of clients we work with. We have some clients where you go in and ask what you're trying to accomplish and they, they sort of have a blank look like, what do you mean? We're just trying to replace our old systems. And, you know, and that's, that's really common. Actually, that's probably more, more common than not is that you ask a client, what are you trying to accomplish with this project? And the, the overwhelming answer is, oh, we're just trying to replace our legacy system because it's old or it's outdated or, you know, it's being sunset or we can't support it anymore or whatever. Um, that's probably a good, you know, burning platform for change, but you need a lot more direction and a lot more clarity of what it is you want this to look like on the other side of your transformation. And that's where uh, a lot of organizations struggle. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I um, you know, I wanted to ask you about a comment he made um, that was about the customization that they have right now with their legacy system. It seems mm-hmm. like they kind of built it um, to really fit their business. And he mentioned that they're looking for more of an out-of-box opportunity and then changing the process to fit the technology. And I I think that's kind of um, counterintuitive, again, to what we typically recommend. Obviously, you and and the team always kind of preach that it's unique to each organization, but that was just something I found um, pretty fascinating that it was a, a little bit different than what we typically would see. Yeah, it's typically, um, you know, it's typically more of a hybrid, I'd say, you know, usually it's not one or the other. It's usually, you know, for these, these business processes or these functions or workflows within our operations, we're going to just adapt to whatever, you know, best practices or off the shelf software capabilities we can get. But for these processes over here that maybe they're, they're more customer facing, or they're more specific to our business model, our competitive advantage, things that we're not willing to compromise or water down, that might be a case where, no, we're going to actually define those business processes up front um, in more detail and enforce the software to fit those processes rather than the other way around. Now, he did say, you know, one thing that was interesting is uh, at the same time that Doug was saying that, um, that he wanted to focus on those best practices and using the software the way it was mm-hmm. built. Um, he was also saying earlier in the conversation, he was saying how, um, they, they wanted to spend time up front defining their processes and flushing yeah. those out in more detail so that they could find the right technology and deploy the right technology in the, in the, in the right way. So I think it's sort of a, you know, if you can do both, you know, if you can define those processes up front, go find the software that best fits the way right. you want your business processes to look. And if you find that right fit, then it's going to be more likely you can use that software off the shelf. It's not going to be hundred percent, but let's just say 80% or 90% of the capabilities you could use off the shelf. And then the other, you know, 10 or 20% or whatever it is, you might focus on customization or putting in a third-party app to plug a gap or, you know, configuring the software a little bit differently or whatever. So I think it's a, it's definitely a, a mix, I would say, of, of both, you know, is, is what most clients do. Yeah. And it sounds like um, per Doug's example and case study, it's really what's best for the organization. And I think he did yeah. such a great job being incredibly intentional about each step within the process. So thank you both for, you know, kind of taking us through that. And I think it's a great segue into Dave Beldick, who is an operational wizard um, to Mm -hmm. take us through his presentation that he did at our digital stratosphere event back in April um, on operational excellence. Yeah, absolutely. One last thing I'll say about um, Doug and PCNA and, and sort of how a business model can drive your, your overall approach and strategy. And to your point, you know, making sure you've got that right alignment is, you know, they're a high volume distribution company with really light manufacturing. I mean, it's not even really manufacturing, but it's, it's, you know, pretty light yeah. um, sort of manufacturing. So in that case, it's more likely that they're going to be able to find 
you know, sort of vanilla software that can support a lot of his business processes. If you're a, if you're a really complex organization that is say lower volume, make to order types of products or really high dollar products that are highly configurable, um, or you have a unique way of delivering to your customers, that's where you're going to see more of a likelihood that you're not going to use vanilla off the shelf software, or you're going to have to piece together, patch together different pieces of different technologies to make it work. So that's the other, you know, one last caveat to what, to what he was saying and, and how it ties to the overall strategy. Yeah, definitely. Um, that, that's a great point. Yeah. So, so it all kind of leads us though, to this whole concept of operational excellence and business. You were talking a lot about business process management, business process improvement that ties into overall operational excellence. And so to your point, we're gonna have Dave Beldick on the show here. We're gonna play a clip from a recent uh, digital event that we hosted um, that focuses on operational excellence and its role in transformation. We're gonna have Dave on the show when we return. We'll take a quick break and we'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, Turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, Contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Hello and welcome back to Transformation Ground Control. My name is Eric Kimberling. I'm here with Kyler Cheatham, and we are excited to play you a clip from a recent digital stratosphere event that we hosted, which is an online conference that we do every so often, where we share best practices and do training for people that are about to go through a digital transformation. And one of the segments we had in that event uh, a few months ago, earlier this year, was a segment with Dave Beldick, who's a senior manager at Third Stage. He did a session focused on operational excellence. And uh, we thought it'd be a great uh, thing to include in this episode, particularly since we were talking about the case study and we talked a lot about business processes and operations and how it all ties to digital transformation. So we'll focus a little bit more on that concept and dive into it deeper. So we're going to play you this clip. And now when we're done with this clip, we'll come back and we've got some closing thoughts and some uh, debrief thoughts uh, from the conversation. So uh, we'll, we'll play the clip here. And this is a, a clip I believe you're going to make a cameo in. Am I, am I correct, Kyler? Oh, yeah. So you know, I always got to jump in there. <laughs> right. So we will see Kyler in there as well, but uh, we'll roll the clip here. Here's Dave Beldick. Building the foundation for world-class enterprise technology operation. Uh, just to say a couple couple things about me, as as Kyler already said, yeah, I've got uh, 30 years of chemical industry experience. And that time was, was mostly um, in the manufacturing space. I, I, uh, uh, I'd say it was about split kind of 50-50 between mainstream manufacturing type assignments and then got into ERP. So I've got over 20 years of ERP impl implementation and operation experience. And, and uh, most of my experience, I've always been on the receiving end. I've always been on the business side of things and, and helping to uh, 
having to start up, you know, implementations and, and, and actually live with them after we start up. So that's, uh, that's a little bit different than just implementing when you actually have to live with it. You kind of have a different perspective there. The other thing is that is after uh, that time in the chemical industry, I also have done about five years of continuous improvement consulting. And I think you're going to see that, that some of what we talked about today, we kind of tie the two together that you can use some continuous improvement methodology in doing your, your ERP implementation and learning how to operate it appropriately. Uh, kind of the things I want to walk through, talk a little bit about the cold hard truth about digital transformations. Some of this you've already heard because Eric has already talked about some of that, but I'm going to get into some of the common challenges and misperceptions and then talk about how to overcome that. Then I'm going to introduce probably a new term to most of you called foundational support processes. That's not one you're going to find in literature, but I'll explain, explain a little bit more about that once we get into it. And then I'll, I'll actually kind of break down the, the impact of starting early and then kind of summarize. So the, the cold hard truth about digital transformations, you already know this, over half of them experience some sort of uh, operational disruption. That's a big number. If you think about that, when you think, I mean, folks have been implementing ERP systems for, for like 30 years now. And, and I cannot think of any other implementation where it's a coin toss, whether this thing's going to be successful or not. It's, it's kind of it's kind of crazy when you think about it. Uh, and if you're one of the unlucky ones and it's only one of two. So, right. So half of, half of you in the room, hopefully not half of you in the room, but half of you in the world. Uh, are going to experience a, a, a negative experience with that. And if it does happen, it's going to be, it's going to cost you some money. It's going to be somewhere between 50% and 300% of the initial cost uh, that you had estimated. So, and I know these numbers are, are from, from the research that, that we've done at third stage, uh, but I've, I've looked at Gartner research too, and, and it's quite similar. So it, it's the real deal. I mean, there really is a, a struggle with implementing ERP systems. Now, some of the challenges. Now, we've, we've talked about this a little bit before. I think there's two, two big ones. Uh, these, are, these are two that often make, well, they make everybody's top 10 list, and, and, and quite often they're in the top five all the time. You see it very consistently. Inadequate organizational change management and poor master data. So kind of back to what I said earlier. If we've been doing this for 30 years, why is it so hard to get this right? And when I think about why, why that is such a problem today, I mean, you know, we've been doing this stuff for 30 years. Why is it so hard to get it right? I think ultimately it comes down to the fact that, that these are not things that, that the organization can just turn over to somebody else to do. They, they can hire a system integrator. The system integrator can bring some great tools and they can help them. But ultimately, you know, that the implementing organization has got to deliver on these things. And, and, we're not the experts. They are not the implementation experts. So you might have an, a, a system integrator who's done a half a dozen or a dozen or two dozen implementations and they're getting smarter. They're getting better. But for most of us that actually are implementing, it happens. You know, it happens. We do it once. This is the only time we may ever do it. And so you, you're seeing that again and again and again where you've got we've got you, these things. Uh, it's the implementing organization that, that's got to deliver and, and it's, it's hard. So that's part of why it's a coin flip. All right. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to pick up this conversation about operational excellence within digital transformation with, with Dave Beldick. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control.
If you are involved in any sort of digital transformation or business change initiative, you will want to download the 2021 Digital Transformation Report. With its comprehensive overview of business and technology trends and best practices, this report is a must-have guide for any transformation project or executive team. Download this free report by visiting Third Stage Consulting at thirdstage-consulting.com. You can also visit our website to learn more about us or download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success. Hello and welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 42. We're here listening to a presentation from Dave Beldick talking about operational excellence within digital transformation. Let's just jump back to the conversation. Now, as far as some common misperceptions, that, you know, one of the big ones is I'm going to call Mr. System Integrator and they're going to come in and they're going to solve all my problems. Um, and, and what that does, that has a negative effect. It makes an organization wait. They just, they just decide, uh, you know, all right, we're going to wait till we get the system integrator. We're not going to start now. We don't exactly know what to do. So we're just going to pause and wait. And when that's done, when you do that, you know, then you lose, you lose time and money. You lose time because that, that, that period of time that you're sitting there waiting, doing nothing, that, that time is gone forever. And, and, you know, I, I talk to people six months into to an implementation, you talk to anyone who's gone through it and, uh, they'll tell you. I mean, if you ask them, they all say, I wish I had done this earlier. I wish I had worked on my data. I wish I had worked on my inventory because I don't have time to do it now. That's the problem. So that time is lost and gone forever. Um, the, the loss of money, um, I think what happens is when you, don't, when you don't do the things that you can and should do before bringing in a system integrator, then when they get on the ground, you find yourself scrambling trying to get those things done now. Uh, and, and when they're on the ground, the meter's running and the meter runs fast with these system integrators. So, uh, you know, you, you find, I, I liken it to, well, back in the old day when we actually used to use taxis, I liken it to calling a taxi and, 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 you know, trying to get a ride to the airport and they're sitting in the driveway while you're feeding the kids and making the lunches and, and cleaning the dishes, it, it's, it's, you're wasting, you're wasting that money. So, so you really want to do these things and you want to do them as early as you can and, and really try to nail them down. So the other common misperception is that cloud solutions make ERP implementations easier. And I know Eric touched this a little bit earlier. Uh, and, and what this does is it causes organizations to get this false sense that this is going to be an easy ride somehow. And, and that they, you know, they, you start to compress timelines and you get these unrealistic timelines. Now, I look at this and say, it, I mean, it doesn't make any sense. If, if implementing, so I look, so for, from a cloud standpoint, it's easier to stand up the software. I'll grant you that. So if, you know, really, if the rate limiting step was to, it was uh, standing up the software, then it would make perfect sense that the cloud, you know, implementations would be getting faster. But the reality is that's not the rate limiting step. Uh, and and uh, uh, what really happens is now you've got the, the cloud solutions tend to be uh, a little more vanilla, uh, a little more standardized. And what that means, the likelihood is that for you to implement on a cloud um, um, solution, you're going to have to adapt more. So if you've got if you've got yourself talked into this unrealistic timeline, 
then then now you've got more change that's going to happen in less time and, and it doesn't it doesn't take a uh, it doesn't take a genius to to figure out that that's uh, that's a recipe that's not a good recipe this is not going to end well so that that's uh, that's a real real problem there all right so uh if we talk about the components of traditional organizational change management uh, th there's a lot of of uh folks out there that have their their own methodology and and uh, they they may use the terms a little bit differently and they may call them something else but but for the most part these are you know the things you see here are the main components of of most organizational change management things and you, you kind of look at them and say yeah they're all they're all important they're all you know they're all necessary uh you know so why 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 is it that i still struggle with this stuff so if you go to the next slide, and I think one of the big problems is that if you take a look at the traditional approach, it is very project focused. And, and I mean, that's, that's intentional because it is a project, but, but if you could go ahead and build it out a little bit, it's, it's fo focused almost exclusively. I'd right, stop right there. There you go. So it's really focused exclusively on all the wonderful things that you're going to do after go live. There is really no effort made to implement any kind of changes before go live. So this idea that you're not going to demonstrate any tangible capabilities, you know, that, that, that you know, whether you can actually do something, you won't do anything for real until go live. And that that creates this bit of a leap, leap of faith event. Uh, and that's part of why it's so, so difficult, I think. All right. So really, so. To achieve world class, it takes a different approach. It does take an operational focus. And when I when I talk about that, go ahead and build it out. Um, I think it's important to demonstrate certain capability actually before go live. And there's a lot of things you can do, not just before go live, but really before even engaging a system integrator. And and a lot of those things is what I call these these foundational support processes. And these are things that that the that the uh, system integrator doesn't actually teach. They this is not where they play. They they're they're very project focused and they're trying to do uh, all they can do in the project, but it, they don't deal with this this part of it. And that's a big part. So go ahead, Kyler. All right. So we talk about foundational support processes, and I and I mentioned before that this is not a term you're going to find out there in in widely used in industry. But for me, what that means. These are processes that are designed to help ensure that your system is and remains an accurate depiction of the physical reality. I've, I've said it many, many times to folks that, that one of the key principles in operating an ERP system is if, you're, if your system is an accurate reflection of the physical world. The whole idea here is that what happens in reality and what's happening in your warehouse with your inventory, even with your, your financial situation, uh, your human capital situation, when you look at inventory cycle um, and just general movements of data and information, the, there tends to be a disconnect between what's happening in the physical world and what is necessarily being tracked in the system. So I think that's the, the key point here on, on this is just making sure you've got that alignment and that you have processes that are ensuring that those those processes and data points are, are remaining yeah, aligned. Um, can you hear me again? Absolutely. Yeah. I, <laughs> yep. I don't know what to tell you, folks. Anyway, um, so the other the other good thing about this stuff, not only can you do it in advance, but you can use that to your advantage. You can actually use this as an indication of when you're ready, really ready to start your implementation. 
I think it's one question a lot of folks know, when is the right time? You know, how do I know I'm ready? Um, once you get into a project, it's easy to measure readiness, but the, the notion, how do I measure when it's time to start my project? That can be harder. When you start implementing things like this, these these uh, these uh, foundational support processes. Now you've got a way to measure. If you're implementing cycle counting, if you're doing cycle counting and, and you know your inventory record accuracy is is greater than 95 or 97 percent, you're you're in you're in a pretty good place. You're you're getting there. You may not be exactly where you want to be for go live, but you're in the in the zone. Um, if you're if you're below 95, you're in trouble. And if you're sitting there thinking what is cycle canning, then you're in real trouble. So, I mean, you've got, you've got some, got some things to do there. All right. We're going to take a quick break and when we come back, we're going to pick up this conversation about operational excellence within digital transformation with, with Dave Beldick. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more transformation ground control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to third stage consulting group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello and welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 42. We're here listening to a presentation from Dave Beldick talking about operational excellence within digital transformation. Let's just jump back to the conversation. All right, so this is an example. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to step you through this one, 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 one push, push at a time. So <laughs> what I, <laughs> what I'm showing here is, if you take a look at, we talked about inventory. I'll talk a little bit more about inventory. In a traditional project, what you're trying to do, the the system integrator is going to take whatever inventory you have, in whatever state it's in, and try to migrate you to a system. Now, if you want to get to world class. You've got to have, it's not just getting into a system. You've got to have some, some other processes in place, these foundational support processes. I've got to be able to measure and, and report my inventory record accuracy. I've got to be able to conduct cycle counts and look at my inventory age. All of these things are things I've got to have to get world-class. Now, in a traditional approach, go ahead and click it once. That what you find out often, there's no real process changes that will happen before I go live. Uh, typically, inventory might be cleaned up in a one-off event, we, you know, like doing a plant physical kind of thing. Uh, so it, I, I, that's akin to kind of trying to inspect quality in. Uh, it's not sustainable. Uh, then when you go live, one more click. When you go live, what happens is now, for some reason, folks think I'm now going to get, I'm going to get religion. I'm, I'm going to suddenly start doing cycle counting. I'm, I'm going to I'm going to work on my inventory accuracy because now it's all in the system. I can do it. I can see it. But what that ha what, what it really happens is you end up having to do a lot of process changes at go live. Uh, so go ahead again. And what you find out is you have a lot of changes to do even after go live. And if you've had a rough go live, if you had a if you had a hard time with this, 
a lot of times you don't you do not get to the finish line you don't you don't finish the last couple of things you, you sort of struggle you kind of get to the point you're like i just i just want to get stable i just want to i'm okay I'm, i want to just get to the new system forget all that world-class stuff i just want to get i just want to get to where i i can sleep at night again you know and and that's that's a that's a bumpy place but you compare that to go on the other route so if you first build the organizational capability by implementing these foundational processes before go live now now you've got look how much you've done you've got you've got this ahead of you now when you go live go ahead when you actually go live you don't have to do this inventory cleanup uh you've already ensured that the the inventory is good you've done it by process uh and now when i'm going live i don't have all these changes to worry about i'm just i'm, I'm really getting close to just doing a it's not a technical migration, but it's more of, I just need to learn how to do these things in my new system. I'm already doing them. I'm pretty good at it. I just need to learn how to do it in the new system. And that means that the change that has to take place at Go Live is that much less. And so now you're already kind of easing into that continuous improvement phase at the end of, of, of Go Live there. So when you when you look at both of these things together, you, you notice a couple of things. One, that the you know the, the the first way where you've had uh, you've had that intense project focus, but that go live event it, it came earlier. That's true, but it was it was much bigger. It was a much bigger event. There's a yeah. I, I think a lot of what you know just to add some commentary. Not necessarily where he was going to go with this this point here, but you know one of the key things here is you know these are things that could be done whether you're in the midst of a of transformation if you've already gone through a transformation or if you're just working off whatever older systems you have, there's, there's a lot of, a lot to be said for this whole framework and this whole process of, of looking at that future state. There, there's a lot of optimization and benefits that can happen just from, you know, whatever technologies you have, just from fine tuning some of these things that Dave's talking about here. It looks like, looks like you're, you're back. Dave. Yeah. We were thinking maybe if you, if you turn off your camera and do audio only, that might, that might help just take okay. up. Like okay. Hopefully it does. Yes. All right. So, um, yeah, yeah. So I don't know where it cut out, but but the, the point <laughs> the point of this slide was to let you know that that if you you know if you go the traditional project approach, yeah, the ERP uh, go live is a lot bigger event. There's a lot more going on. Whereas if you were able to actually uh, go with the the operational approach and have that focus there, you can actually lay the groundwork. You can lay the foundation well in advance. Your go live event is a much smaller event. It happens a little bit later. But it, but it, but it actually is is a much smoother, smoother landing spot. Go ahead, Kyler again. And then, and so even though even though the project focus does get you to a go live faster, the operational focus gets you to world class faster. That is that is the way to get the world class, and that's the fastest way I knew to get there. All right, we're going to take a quick break and when we come back, we're going to pick up this conversation about operational excellence within digital transformation with, with Dave Beldick. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. 
If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Hello and welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 42. We're here listening to a presentation from Dave Beldick talking about operational excellence within digital transformation. Let's just jump back to the conversation. Data. It might surprise you that I talk about two types of data. I know there's hundreds of data elements out there, right? But I still, I still, I still simplify it and categorize them into two types. So the first type is what I call the set it and forget it type. And the other one is the monitor and adjust type. The set it and forget it. So this is these are kind of fairly static things. These are things, you know, it's not that they don't change at all, but they're they're driven more by the administrative or, or kind of structural changes. Um, it may be like material descriptions and addresses and, and organizational elements, things like that. Um, things that, that, you know, an address doesn't change until somebody physically moves. And that doesn't, it happens, you know, for, for it, it happens all the time, but it, for any given um customer or vendor or something like it, you know, it happens, what, every few years, right? So it doesn't happen that much. Uh, whereas the monitor and adjust, go ahead and click it, is, so these, are, these are somewhat variable. Now, this is more driven by continuous improvement activities. So you look at bombs and routes and lead times and things like that. So if I'm, you know, if I'm making, if I'm making bicycles, then my bombs probably don't change much. But if I'm a chemical manufacturer and yield is very important, I'm, I probably got programs driving my yield and my bombs need to reflect what my yield really is. Not, not the theoretical capability of what the, what the, what the chemist said it should be, but what we actually do with routes, you know, folks, you know, one of the key components in routes, of course, is rates. And, and people are always driving rate, trying to drive rate improvement. So, so you, and you need to have that, that rate needs to be reflected at your actual capability needs to be reflected in there. So you have to have processes in place to, to look at these things and analyze them and make adjustments so that you, you're constantly trying to keep the system aligned with the physical reality. Um, and, and so that's more of these foundational support processes. All right. So now, now, but if you look at this stuff, now the system integrators, they actually treat all of the data like it's the set it and forget it type. You don't believe me that they ask you to fill out a template, right? They tell me what data you want to be in the system at go live. They don't talk about what are you going to do a year from now. They don't talk about how, you know, how do you do this kind of, of analysis and, and maybe even root cause analysis and trying to understand the various components and, 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 and go through all that stuff. They just say, fill out this template. Tell me what I need to put in the system. But if you want to get to world-class, if you really want to be good, you've got to get good at this monitor and adjust type of type of data. And, and so you've got to have processes. And these are more like six sigma type processes where you're, where you're trying to, to do the analysis and, and figure out what the, you know, if I wanted to, if I wanted to do something with, with uh, lead times, for example, uh, you know, it's funny because I've heard people say, well, just if I want a 30-day lead time, I just put in a 30-day lead time. I said, no, <laughs> lead time needs to reflect your capability. So you have to you have to do the analysis of your of your the various components of that cycle time, and then and then uh, 
and then work on those and get them down. So when you when you demonstrate that you can do 30 days, then you adjust the data to, to follow. So these are all some of these foundational support. Yeah. So I, on this slide, what he he I've heard him talk about before is just looking at different processes and your level of readiness for those different processes. So um, it, it not all of your business processes and functions and capabilities within the organization are going to be at equal stages of readiness. So it's a matter of understanding where are we now for each of these different processes and where should we be by this point in the process. Yeah. Uh, I'm back take... if you can hear me. We can hear you. Oh, goodness. All right. So the um, so really the, the point of this, what, what I'm showing, I'm you know showing a dozen or so processes here. You probably have a dozen, dozen processes that you're going to be implementing at Go Live. Some of these things have components that you can do well in advance. And my suggestion is do as many in advance as you can because it it it, it really reduces what you have to do at Go Live. So if you click it once, so as as you start to work on these things and you start to pull these forward, pull it to the left of the pre-Go Live activities, then you start to see my my readiness for for go live goes up and go ahead again and then the more you do the better it goes and go ahead again uh, so really by starting these business process work earlier what it does is it, it first of all your team gets a lot smarter they they understand a lot more about what's coming their way because they're working on these things now so they make better project decisions uh, the other thing that happens is you now you all, you've done all the things you can and should do before starting an ERP implementation. Um, now you've now you've make make the most efficient use of your expensive solution provider resources or the system integrator resources. These are that that that's critical. Um, you have a lot less changes to deal with the go live, which mitigates the risk, and basically the whole thing just tips the scale towards success. All right, so really, in summary, the key to achieving the world-class ERP operational capability. So obviously, it has to have that operational focus. You need to establish these foundational support processes. And, and again, a reminder, these are things that the system integrators don't teach you how to do. Uh, we, the beginning early, uh, that is certainly part of, of uh, we, we just talked about that, what that means for all of those reasons. That's why it's, uh, it's very important to start early. It really, it really sets you up for success. And you know, one final point. I think there's one more click. Is that uh, uh, obviously uh, since system integrators don't teach you these things, I got to put at least one little commercial in there. You know, uh, uh, we're certainly very happy to try to help help guide you through that process. All right, good stuff. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Kyler, for that good conversation on operational excellence. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk more about uh, some of the findings and lessons from that conversation. We'll be right back with more on transformation ground control. If you are involved in any sort of digital transformation or business change initiative, you will want to download the 2021 Digital Transformation Report. With its comprehensive overview of business and technology trends and best practices, this report is a must-have guide for any transformation project or executive team. Download this free report by visiting Third Stage Consulting at thirdstage-consulting.com. You can also visit our website to learn more about us or download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success.
Hello and welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 42. Be sure to follow us on social media for daily updates about digital transformation best practices. And Kyler, we just listened to a really good segment with Dave talking about operational excellence. I love that topic. Uh, super interesting guy, super interesting presentation. Uh, what were some of your thoughts after uh, hearing that session again? Yeah, absolutely. I always love um, Dave's Dave's presentation because it's very approachable and digestible um, when these really, really technical concepts. And I think one thing we've been talking a lot about business process management and supply chain within our recent um, conversations. And all of these tactics that Dave laid out can be done by an organization prior to any digital transformation. And that's something I just kind of wanted to hit on with you is is knowing if you're in some sort of disruption, whether it's a supply chain issue, a labor shortage, these processes like data cleansing, you know, looking at your process mapping, those types of things, those can all be done internally, correct? Yeah, that's correct. And in fact, you don't even necessarily even need to do it as part of a digital transformation. It could be that you do it as a way to optimize what you already have, or perhaps you don't you're not going to get the budgetary approval or the buy-in to do a big digital transformation for a number of years from now or even months. So, you know, th this can be a good segue or a good uh, interim step. And it's arguably a step that every organization should go through, um, you know, as they think about how they can optimize the technology they already have. Absolutely. And I always like when technical people like Dave mentioned organizational change management, I think mm -hmm. within digital stratosphere, I saw it from two people I did not expect to see it from Dave Feldick and then also um, Marcus Harris, who's our, our lawyer, um, who talks about vendor contracting and things like that. Um, so I, I wanted to see like what as an organizational change specialist, where you can start or should you parallel path your kind of organizational design plan with optimizing your operations. Yeah, you should, because it generally goes hand in hand. I mean, generally, as you're changing business processes, you're changing roles and responsibilities and the way work is organized and the way people are doing their work. So I think if you do it right and you and you want those process changes to really stick, you, you do that uh, in parallel with the organizational change piece and the organizational design piece that you're talking about. Absolutely. And it sounds like within that piece, as Dave was mentioning, just kind of pulling out that tribal knowledge and um, you know, mapping it out so that we can understand it as an organization. And I wonder from a change management perspective, when you do have a very high skilled, you know, tenured resource or employee at the organization that had kind of known all this and had some ownership over it, from a change standpoint, how do you continue to motivate that person after you kind of take away their, you know, kind of main secret to, to key value. Obviously they're so valuable to the organization, but how do you remind them of that? Yeah, it's, that's a really good point because that, that um, pride in the tribal knowledge and the heroics that go into a lot of uh, legacy work environments is very real. And, and you have to respect the fact that people have that, that pride, even though the processes may be broken, even though it's inefficient, even though it's not best for the organization, that individual is going to have pride and take pride in, the, in their work. So you do have to recognize that. So that's the first step is recognize that even though the process is broken, even though to you or others looking outside, looking in are going to say, well, that, of course, you're going to want to change that process. It, it only makes sense. Well, it does, but it's not always just a logical decision. There's the emotional uh, component too. So you have to understand that and say, okay, well, that's the first is recognize it. Um, second of all is to, you know, make those people part of the process and part of the decision and part of the definition of that, of that future state 
so that they own this. It's not a change that's just happening to them. Things aren't being quote unquote taken away from them. Um, they're actually defining how their job or they're, they're contributing to defining how their job is going to look in the future. So I think that's the other step is to involve them in the process. And then certainly, I guess the third thing would be make sure they have a clear vision of what their process is going to look like. Because more often than not, the fear and the anxiety comes from the fact that I don't know much, but all I know is my job uh, or part of my job is going away. You know, that spreadsheet I created, you know, 20 years ago that I've been managing, that I've been holding on to for the last 20 years, that's going away. And if that's all I know and I don't see what the alternative or what the path forward is, then I'm going to resist that change because that's pretty scary to go from what I know to not knowing what's coming up next. So the more we can create that clear vision and communicate that clear vision to the organization, the, the more the more comfortable you're going to make them in that transition. Yeah, definitely. I think that creating that ownership is a great tactic in involving them within kind of transferring that knowledge, saying, you know, obviously you've been a huge asset to this organization and you will continue to be just in yeah. this different shifting of a role. Well, um, you know, great stuff here from, from Dave. If you have questions for Dave, he is obviously a part of our third stage team and we'll include his contact information um, in the description below. If you want to reach out or have any additional questions, his presentation, he's very proud of it, also is available um, as well if you'd like to, to take a look at that, um, kind of flip through it on your own time. But thank you so much um, to Dave for kind of joining us and joining that event. And we're excited to host another digital stratosphere um, coming up in next January. Yeah, yeah. January of 2022, we'll have our next uh, stratosphere. So stay tuned for more information on that. Be sure to join that. Those are, those are great events. I have a lot of fun. I always learn a ton uh, yeah. in those sessions. So I'm really excited for that. Um, well, good. Well, thanks. Uh, thank you, Kyler, for, for all your help with this episode, as always. And uh, thank you to our guests, Doug and Dave, for being on the show here today. Uh, great conversations. And thank you, the audience, for listening. Really appreciate you joining. Be sure to share this podcast with others. If you have anyone on your team or colleagues and industry peers that you think might be interested in this, please feel free to share it. We'd love to increase our, our audience. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast as well. Leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback on what you think of the podcast and uh, what we do to make it better. So I hope you all have a great day. We'll see you next Wednesday. New episodes every Wednesday. We'll see you then on our next episode of Transformation Ground Control. Have a great week and we'll see you soon. Mm -hmm.